On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're diving into Alaskan salmon waters with my great friend and career salmon biologist, Dan Ranella. And yes, that's Meat Eater Steve's nicer and better looking older brother. For years now, Dan and his wife Karina have welcomed me into their home in Anchorage for hot meals, cold beer, and even a place to crash as I've traveled through town on different trips and hunts. Dan has a PhD in biology and is an absolute wealth of knowledge. His ongoing water temperature research in Alaska gives us fascinating insight into the current state of some of the world's most coveted salmon fisheries. If wild salmon don't already completely blow your mind, get comfy. They're about to. I I have found um, on occasions when I'm traveling with my handgun, I have found that that's a good time to get a little uh, handgun practice in, you know, when you're sitting on that strip waiting. Oh, really? That's yeah. a good time killer for you. Well, what I mean, options are limited. <laughs> yeah, man. But there's only so many rounds of the I know. handgun. Yeah, there's well, only. Uh, America might go. Yeah, there's only. Yeah, there's. Well, yeah, if you're on your way out, especially, you don't need that ammo. But there's only so much I'm going to carry to begin with. So That's right. Not like. I try to come up with different creative ways to kill time in that down space. Um, I started carrying an iPad mini. Uh huh. And I got like 30 movies on it. Oh wow! And it's like the movie version of a Kindle, you know. Yeah. I can Did you download all those movies. Download a lot of movies before I go out, and uh, yeah, they're kind of on a timer from Netflix. So, like once you hit play, there's like forty eight hours before it's gone forever. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Anyways, uh, that's been a good trick for me to make time pass a little more painlessly, but. Uh, if the wind's kicking up, you can't hear it. You can't hear the iPad. So the, I just got my first set of AirPods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna recommend something along those lines. Yep, problem solved. Pretty slick. And I also uh, tied up a gallon Ziploc bag in the top of my tent to slide the iPad into it, and I can lay back in bed <laughs> and, and watch yeah. a movie without yeah. holding it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. You know what? You're right, Karina. Uh, it's a dangerous game to play, I'll say. Let me give you an example. During sheep season, I watched The Perfect Storm one night. Ruined my week. You can't shake it. Like it's the only th- it's the only piece of like digital content you in it's the only input that you're taking. And so I dream about it that night. The next day, I'm hiking for six hours. I'm thinking about it every step of the way. Oh, so I have a new rule. Only comedies. Only lighthearted stuff when we're in camp. Because it really, like, it sticks with you and bothers you more than... No no romantic comedies. No depressing dramas. No violent, crazy, Yeah, you got to play it safe. So I've just really stuck to comedies, and I got on a kick of downloading a bunch of uh, stand-up acts. Oh, yeah. Like Dave Chappelle stuff and yeah. different Netflix specials, and that's been a good light-hearted time killer yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. And I like to read, but I can only read so much. That's that's my jam. I just bring a book. A little I, – I, I, 
I when I go to the bookstore, I'll often buy a, not about as often as I go to the bookstore these days. Just buy some small, light. They tend to be like old, like Penguin Classics or whatever, sure. you know. And then I, I vacuum pack one and bring it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you vacuum seal it in a food saver. Yeah, yeah. Well, it keeps it dry until you crack it open. Yeah, it's like it's reading. like it's like break in case of emergency, man. Like, I, <laughs> like I didn't even like I didn't even open. We had great weather on my hard, last hard times. We got to bust this out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great weather on the last trip, and just never—it's still vacuum packed. It's ready to go for the next trip. I've hunted with some people that carry a Kindle. Yeah, and that seems like pretty slick trick to have multiple books because you carry these paperback books, and you're like, well, this is the light version, you know, because it's not a hardback book, but it's still not a Kindle. It's only one book. Yeah, I just like getting away from the screen, man. Just you know, I there's part of me that feels. Not great about the iPad solution. Yeah. Because I do appreciate the uh, disconnection from yeah. civilization. But I feel like I still achieve that because I'm not on the internet. Because it's in a Ziploc. Because <laughs> it's in a Ziploc. <laughs> it's clean, man. Oh, but like I, I'm not on social media. I'm not yeah. answering messages. I'm not interacting sure. with a bunch of people. It's, sure. it's just a purely cinematic mind distraction but there is part of me that's still like well this ain't nature like, i'm doing like, i feel like i'm cheating or something and then eight days go by and you're like whatever i'll chop give me give me internet give me whatever movies I'm, i'll cut all the corners i can to make this go by more peacefully thanks for having me back over thanks for coming over yeah uh for those of you who don't know where we are, we are in Anchorage, Alaska, West Side Anchorage. <laughs> Spinard. Yeah, West Side Spinard <laughs> town. This is one of the most hidden neighborhoods around. Like every time I follow my phone's direction to get to your house, I feel like it's misleading me, and then I'm here. Yep. It's a bit of a sneaky route. Yep. You you would never drive through here unless you were coming here. No, locals uh, only. Yeah, because over here is a green belt. And over here is a train track, and there's not a single road that crosses both of them. So it's got to be nice and quiet. I mean, it's got to provide some privacy yeah. and quiet. You're you're not far from downtown Anchorage. <laughs> so we are in the home of my good friend Dan Ranella and his wife Karina, who's sitting here picking apart. I only came to Alaska with two headsets. So if you hear Karina talk in the background, she, and if she sounds like she's 10 miles away, it's because I very rudely uh, did not provide her with a headset. But she's cleaning up seeds off of an arugula plant from last year. And what, you're going to plant those seeds in a garden next spring? A lot of forward thinking going on here. Yesterday, I met up with Dan and... We had a good day out and about. We, I've never done this in my entire life. Never thought I would do this in my entire life, but we went scouting for ducks. <laughs> Didn't know that was a thing, to be honest with you, before we met up yesterday. But uh, Dan was about to take his son on his first duck hunt today and wanted it to be a successful, productive morning. And more forward thinking happening here in the Ranella household. Dan wanted to go check a couple spots out. So we canoed into a handful of spots looking for ducks yesterday. Found some ducks right away. 
Yeah. We should have just stopped while we were ahead. If we didn't, if yeah, we'd have known. First spot was the best spot. <laughs> yeah, by a long margin. Yeah, and caught a couple salmon along the way. Yeah. It was fun. I had a great time. Thanks for having yeah, me out. Yeah, me too, man. It was nice knocking around with you. I love that kind of stuff. I Biggest thing I learned yesterday, I learned a lot, but was that your canoe is a Grumman mm-hmm. made by the same manufacturer of the airplane. Yeah. That's pretty mind-blowing to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about the motor you have on that thing. So yeah, the bow is it. It's a uh, it's a 19 foot Grumman square steering. They're real common here. I mean, you see there you see a lot of them around. Yeah, the canoe didn't look foreign to me. Yeah, but I was just surprised <clears throat> when you told me who made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at you know, it's like it's it's you know, it's you can imagine that a, that a company that 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 formed aluminum into, you know, shapes and put a whole bunch of rivets in it to hold it together and and called it an airplane. You, you can know? make an airplane, you can make a canoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Product development same. was like, hey, we got the, the sky, let's try the sea. Yeah, yeah, especially if you look at, yeah, their, uh, the other airplanes had kind of a boat belly to them too, you know, so. Yeah, the one in particular, the gr- the actual grum goose and the widgeon, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, like it's a not a seaplane that just lands on the belly of itself. Yeah, and and then they're still they still make those. They still, I mean, I don't think you know Grumman act. They sold it to like the Marathon Boat Group or something like that, and they still make them. And we talked about this yesterday. Stone Glacier has no- named all of their clothing products after airplanes. One of them being their Grumman Goose Down pants okay, and jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full circle. Um, and then the mo- yeah the motor is just a little six horse long tail mud motor, um, with I don't know maybe it's got like a maybe a little six inch prop you know it's so small, yeah it's smaller prop than I thought it was yeah right it's a teeny little prop so it doesn't take much water to cover it you know doesn't taste take much <laughs> gas doesn't no. take much gas to make it rip either, but yeah we were screaming through like six inches of water yeah yeah it's pretty neat yeah. That was fun. There's a couple that that got me thinking about that'd be a wicked setup on a couple western hunts to get into some spots. Oh, I could yeah, I could picture that on some of those yeah, on some of those uh, prairie streams and whatnot. That's right. Yeah, accessing some public land with that thing. Uh, and then we caught some silvers. We caught we fished for about ten minutes and we caught two silvers out of a hole that had two hundred silvers in it. Yeah. And a lot of them were colored up. Yeah. It's getting late in the year. Getting yeah. late. So these fish, uh, and this is, this kind of dovetails into what I want to talk about, which is your career uh, working with salmon. But yeah, we caught some silvers and out of those 200 in that hole we were casting at, seemed like luckily for us, the only ones biting were the freshies. So what I mean by that is they're, they're not colored up. They're still a little chromed out. They have more recently come from the ocean, and they're better eating. Yeah, they, yeah, their meat will be in better shape, yeah. The other ones are on their way to spawn and die. They all are, but uh, things just get trashier and trashier. So luckily the two we caught were keepers, good table fare. Oh, yeah, you flayed them last night. And headed got, back to Montana with me. Yeah, got some good color in the meat. Yeah, still. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great. Let's talk about bleeding fish real quick because we had a discussion about this yesterday. Uh, when you catch a fish, whether it's a pike or a salmon, something you're going to eat, a common practice for fishermen is to bleed the fish. And people do this in a lot of different ways. Uh, 
I particularly do like this throat slit on a big salmon, and it seems like that gets the most blood out of it. A lot of Alaskans and a lot of people and commercial fishermen do the gill rake or the gill stab, but the end goal is to get the most blood out of the fish. And I asked you last night, I was like, does it actually make a difference? Is it is it just, is this real or is this just kind of urban legend, like something old-timey practice? And you defended it very quick, and you're like, no, you can tell. Oh, yeah. If yeah. there's blood left in the fillet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like if we're, you know, if we're flaying through a bunch of salmon and you cut one open and it's there's just a pool of blood like in the meat still, you know, oh, somebody forgot to bleed this one. And you look and yeah, mm. no, you know, it's it's pretty obvious. But your technique is just a gill stab and let them. Let oh, them I just, I just, I just stick a knife under the gill plate and give a just a flick of the wrist on each side and just cut through all the gill arches, you know. And yeah, I just, I, 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 I think the end result is the same. It's, I guess it's like we were talking yesterday. You can cut a little bit and it'll bleed out <laughs> more slowly, Quick, quickly or slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it yeah. all comes out. I mean, it, 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 it boils down to how, how ethical of a fisherman sure, are you? Sure, sure. How, I don't, how much do you want that fish to suffer? There's, there's no downside to yeah bleeding it more quickly. But you told me there is a downside to clubbing fish too aggressively. Mm-hmm. So this is something people might be familiar with. Uh, when people are catching salmon by the drove, a common practice is to wallop them on the head. And there's a couple different reasons for doing that. And my experience has been when people get to club in salmon, it's when everyone on the deck is reeling in silvers and there's fish flopping around everywhere and it's a bit chaotic and a bit dangerous and wild. And there's, there's, there's three salmon on the line. And there's three salmon that, coming that, in and four more freed flop. Up. Yeah, you need the net freed up. And <laughs> yeah, so people are yeah. quick to uh, club a fish, just give them a knock on the head. And you were saying, you know, sometimes you see people do that way too aggressively. It's, it looks sadistic sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like the salmon owed of money or something. <laughs> yeah. But you say that, that you run a risk of you hit it too hard, you you stop the heart immediately and no blood is going yeah, to yeah, this animal. Yeah, yeah. You just they execute won't, they won't, it. It won't bleed out well if it's... If right. It's, you can't bleed a dead salmon. Yeah. <laughs> Once it's dead, the heart is not going to yeah. keep doing this. Well, that's a, a twisted introduction to what you've made your life work, which is working with salmon. And tell me, what, what is your job? What is your job title? Who do you work for? Uh, I'm a, a fish biologist uh, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Anchorage, Alaska. It's a federal uh, job. Yes, yes. So you're not you're not with Alaska Game and Fish. You're with no, no. The the state you know the the state's responsible for, um, pr- you know primarily management, um, um, of sport commercial fisheries, subsistence fisheries, that sort of thing. Um, they, they do some research too, but um, my my job is primarily uh, research. Would you say? The f- the federal fish and wild is it like bigger picture stuff? Are you more zoomed out than the the state level stuff, or how would you com- how would you compare the two? No, we just have a different set of responsibilities. Okay, I guess. that makes you sense. Know? Yeah, yeah. Like our office works on does some work on you know on we need a, generally have a federal nexus of some sort. So if some federal interest 
and the the work that we're doing. Okay. Um, so that can be um, work on a uh, national wildlife refuge, um, you know, helping them address some of the um, biological needs that they have with their fish populations. Or um, I, I I am pretty closely aligned with a fish habitat partnership, and um, most of the work that I'm currently involved with is um, stuff that they see as a priority. Okay. You know, their their steering committee and... Just different people at the table, different lists of responsibilities and research goals. Yeah. Not not so much the day-to-day management of... Yeah, exactly. You know, our question's not, you know, how many fish can we harvest for this run? You know, that, 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 that's something that's, you know, that's, that's the state's, uh, that's the state's responsibility. Um, you have a good relationship with the state? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. We work with, we work with the ADF and G office in in Palmer quite a bit and really like those guys up there. And, and we, we, yeah, we're collaborating on a few different aspects of a project. So you say you're a a fish biologist Mm -hmm. or would you just say you're a biologist? work with fish fish biologist well that's my you know job title okay <laughs> i think i think I, in layman's term that's a good description of probably what i do says it you know but it i think my background's it. a little more well-rounded than that. i've done a lot of work with aquatic insects so where'd you go to college uh lake superior state university in the upper peninsula of michigan you know, i grew up in michigan what did you get a degree in uh uh bachelor's in Fish, fish and wildlife management there. Fish and wildlife management. And how quickly after that did you pursue a master's degree? Um, oh, I goofed off. I shouldn't say goofed off. <laughs> I did, I did like, te- you know, kind of technician type job. You're trying for- to trap that badger. <laughs> no, that was, that was, uh, that was probably junior high. <laughs> Dan told me a story yesterday of, uh, he'd never seen a badger before and cut badger tracks and followed him clear as day going into a badger hole. And he, were you with your brothers? Yeah. You and your brothers were like, man, we got this thing dead to right. Set a 220 <laughs> conover at the mouth of this hole. Couldn't wait. It was like Christmas, he said, <laughs> to go check this conover the next morning. We're going to get a badger slam dunk deal. And what happened? And, and it was winter. It was winter. We tracked him down in the snow. And that, <laughs> that badger dug straight out through the top of his burrow, a new hole, and, uh. and left the area. Smart, <laughs> wily weasel, frozen ground. That's too funny. That was funny. Okay, so you went to you got your undergraduate in fish and wildlife management in Michigan. Yep. And then, uh, oh, then I goofed off for yeah. While well, I did uh, tech jobs, uh, did some salmon stuff out west, and then some kind of water quality stuff out east, and then started at my ba- uh, my master's, which was which I did at Auburn University down in Alabama. Yeah. And how long were you in Alabama? Uh, a little two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Just for the school stint, you didn't stick around or spend any time? Yeah. There. Yeah. No, I was I was itching to get out. And that, I guess it was at that time that the, the both my brothers moved to Montana, you know, for, for grad. They were, we were all kind of starting grad school around the same time. You didn't want to get left behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I got to go west too. So I was spending a lot of time in Montana and, um, um, you know, bouncing back and forth between my brother's places and that sort of thing. And then um, trying to get something going on there. Work related. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I, man, I was really, I always wanted to live in Alaska. And that was, um, uh, I've been saying that since I was a little kid, you know. So um, had you been here before? No. 
nope, nope. It was, it was, I, 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 I didn't really have a realistic idea of what, what Alaska was. It was sort of an abstraction. Sure. Um, it was, it's way after having been here, you know, 22 years, it's way different than I pictured it, but it's probably more interesting than I pictured it at the same time. You yeah. know, like it's super, yeah, yeah. So, uh, after grad school, what is your grad, what was your graduate focus? You don't get a graduate specific degree or do you or do you well, like no, I, got, well, I, got, I guess you got a master's in you know biological sciences it's okay vague title but you know whatever your research focus is is sort of what with those what degrees what what could you have done besides be a uh, fisheries biologist i mean did it qualify you could you have been a wolf biologist could you have been a elk oh if i could yeah. i mean well it you you were kind of building your resume in but, water. And yeah, fish. but yeah, especially by the time you got a master's, you're you, you know you you start you're picking to specialize a, a little bit you're at picking that. A lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now let's say you were really quantitative and you're just really into the stat side of things, you know, and it really wouldn't make a whole lot of difference if you were running stats on, you know, aquatic insects or fish or you know, yeah, predator prey, wolf stuff, whatever. You know, it's it's the it's kind of the numbers that that are your specialty but in, in my case it was more the system you know this what do you mean by that just the, the aquatic system like oh okay and, and and um um if i you if i have it if i have a specialty it's kind of it's it's, it's uh, i've always been really interested in food webs like what eats what, what eats, eats what, what where the energy comes from where the energy goes how you know seems to be a theme in the family yeah uh okay very good and so did you move to montana then yeah i spent some time there trying to get a trying to get job there trying to to find some work yeah yeah. as as i was was wrapping up my master's and um um applied applying for jobs there, looking for grad programs there that sort of thing you know with the state with the feds feds and uh university there um and but boy it's, it's a it's you know it's a it's a kind of a smaller market there you know and and something came up in alaska before i got settled in there um and moved here in 2000 moved here in 2000 it's yeah. been here for over the 20 fir- years now yeah yeah it's the first job i applied for in alaska was it I was it the job there. you're in today no it was with the university of alaska and i I, I was there. I worked there. So, like, you secured a university grant, or you were employed by the university? Yeah, yeah, is employed by the university. Yeah, yeah. And what research were you doing then, right out the gate? Um, it was all water quality oriented. Um, um, it uh, we were doing sort of baseline biological and water quality surveys around Alaska. I did that for a lot of years, actually. In salmon fisheries and it wasn't really salmon related. It was, I mean, it was, I mean, everything salmon related when you're working in a salmon stream, you know. Okay. But it was, it was more water. That wasn't the focus, yeah. Habitat and water. Yeah, related. yeah, yeah, Big, yeah. Yeah, there's but, more than just the salmon here. Yeah. Okay, um, that's interesting. And you, when did you kind of get? I, I'm quick to say that. You are a, a salmon professional. Like your career is folk star. Is that wrong? Am I no, saying? it's. I mean, that's. You know, my 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 current job. I, I focus. You know, almost entirely on salmon. Right. And when I so and after I'd been working at University of Alaska Anchorage for a number of years, and I went back to school within the University of Alaska system to get my PhD, and that was salmon. You a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, I didn't know that, Dan. <laughs> I actually assumed that at one point, but never never confirmed that with you. Yeah, Doctor Dan. There's a, there's a there's a handful of Doctor Ranellas. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, Matt's got a PhD. We Matt have another, we have a physician in the family too. Wow. Smart gang. <laughs> pretty, pretty smart people. Um, I uh, got an undergraduate, and we're lucky I got that far. I would say more uh, tenacious than smart uh, in my uh, like <laughs> in that my badger. <laughs> <laughs> you, you dig your own hole. Okay, so uh, you moved to Alaska, and um, you told me a story yesterday. What what welcomed you to Alaska? Oh yeah, Drove yeah. Up here? I had when I. Um, I, I was pulling out of, uh, or I had just crossed into, you know, the cross through the border, welcome to Alaska, gone through customs immigration, all that stuff. And within, I mean, literally like a minute of driving across the international border into Alaska, a lynx ran across the road in front of me. And you'd never seen a lynx before? Right to left. I'd never seen a wild cat before. <laughs> yeah. You told me this. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lynx, and you're like, man, man, welcome to Alaska. Here I am, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how quickly once you moved up here did you dive into salmon fishing or sheep hunting and all the textbook Alaskan things that we think of? Um, well, sheep hunting came a little later because I, you know, I had um, not that much money, and I didn't want to buy a non-resident, you know, big game license. So my first fall here, um, yeah, I did a lot of fishing and yeah. duck hunting and exploring, you know, and, 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 uh, second, second, my second fall here was when I you had your residency, had my res- residency and did some caribou hunting and stuff like that. Uh, early on, I think I probably took me, I don't think my first sheep hunt was probably, Oh, two or Oh three. Did you kill one? I did. You're no, free. I take that back. I take that back with my second, my second hunt. I got one. My first one, my the first sheep hunt I went on was with both my brothers, and we were in the Chugach before it all went to drawing. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and hunted some real rough country and really didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so lace so, up your boots. Let's go. Oh yeah, down. like we walked, we walked all the way. Th- through the sheep country. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? You were too hot to trot. Yeah. Yeah, you just cruised right by. We cruised all, through the sheep country, way up into some, just nat. We saw a lot of goats back in there, you know. And then right. I, that, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on our way out, you know, we uh, the, only, the only sheep we saw was, you know, like almost back at the truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had to work backwards 90% yeah. to find a sheep. That was a that was a formative trip, though, man. I learned a lot. I learned, I learned a lot about, you know, what to look for in a huntable landscape, and that was man a barely a barely a very tough landscape to hunt in, you know. Oh, the Chugach is nasty. Yeah, yeah, and just getting you know we're in a valley that's um, that's not very high at the floor, you know. It's you know less than a thousand feet, and then the hanging the hanging valleys where things get interesting are a couple thousand feet above you, and it's that U shaped glacial stuff that's just very steep and alder choked and boy every time you want to look at one of those hanging valleys it's you know a half a day uh just suffering oh yeah it's right there 
Yeah, and then you get up in that valley and look around, and there's it's just too rugged to connect to the next one. So you got to go back out the way you came and big, battle. Big up reality the... check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought the the lynx said "Welcome to Alaska," <laughs> but in fact, those alders did. <laughs> We say a couple. It was a couple years before you couple went years sheep, hunting? sheep hunting, but um, but no, I spent time in the Alpine right away. Yeah, but I, you know, I hadn't, you know, this. I just looked. I, I knew there were sheep in the area, and I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know what people get them there. It's great sheep country, you know. But I, but, 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 you know, I learned in retrospect that that's that the way we were hunting. It's not how people do it. You know, I, I think a lot of young enthusiastic hunters are guilty of maybe charging too hard too yeah. fast right past what they're going for yeah yeah whether it's elk or a sheep or <laughs> whatever we, i've yeah. certainly done it myself we ran out of food on that trip oh you did yeah <laughs> yeah my brother matt brought his, brought, brought his girlfriend at the time along uh very last minute also we got a fourth person and we didn't count for that mm. probably some poor planning on top of that mm. we just and toward, we eventually shot a black bear, and that's all. We were packing that thing around with us, too. Yeah, let's just eat this thing. And, yeah, that's we ate that for, I think that's all we had for several days, you know. That's too funny. We were deep frying, like, fondueing cubes of oh, yeah. uh, bear meat in bear in fat. Bear fat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Staying alive out here. And I, remember, I remember at one point Steve found a, uh, he had like, an old, like, gummy Hall's cough drop that he had found, like, in a pocket, you know. <laughs> he was like, candy. <laughs> He bit it in half, and we shared it. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> I feel like, man, one thing that doesn't taste like bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got in the habit recently of taking pancake mix and bacon with us. And, man, that has been a big win. It breaks up the Mountain House dinner. Oh, sure. So instead of having Mountain House for 10, 11 days, I'll have Mountain House for like seven of those days. And other nights, I'll just make blueberry pancakes and bacon. Yeah. And it's like a proper a proper meal, and it kind yeah. of breaks up that dehydrated stuff. And I've also fed on plenty of moose and sheep and stuff. At Once you get something killed, it's like, man, forget all this dehydrated food. Let's just be carnivores. <laughs> um, so you made it to Alaska. That was your introductory to sheep hunting. You got your residency. This has been your home now for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And tell me what, what your current job, you, you told me what your current job is, but tell me about the, the project that started in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was two, yeah, I think it was 2017, the, the current, the current, the thing that I have going on. And is that, is this a project that you proposed or you inherited? No, I started it. I started. I, I started it with a, a, a collaborator of mine who works for a nonprofit um, who's done a lot of temperature-related stuff, and that's what my... The focus of your current work is. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's mostly related to, to salmon and water temperature and trying to sort of make some educated guesses about um, how, 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 how things are changing and what that might mean salmon and so just to, the, the, to, the, fr the freshwater on the freshwater side of things right right so correct me if i'm wrong but to simplify things to a painful level for you uh 
the earth is getting slightly warmer. We have a little bit warmer water every year in these, in these streams, maybe more runoff. And you are monitoring temperature levels, water levels, and how this is affecting salmon development, salmon numbers, all of it. Yeah. So we, um, we really dug into we, we, some, some earlier work had been real broad scale where we were looking at lots of different rivers. Um, but not not getting a whole lot of information on any one of them, just trying to understand sort of the lower main stem reach of a bunch of different rivers, what what temperature conditions looked like, you know, throughout the summer. And then we decided to really dig into one river system. Focus into one kind of ecosystem here. Yeah, yeah. And so we picked a... How'd you pick it? Was it the one that was getting the hottest? It's a, it's a very warm... Yeah, it's a very that, warm... That was kind of... You're like, yeah. this, if there's a problem, child, this is it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very productive Chinook, Chinook and Coho stream. Um, it's, has, it's, it's locally, it's very important sport fishery. A lot of guiding going on. A lot of just locals like to fish there. It gets this river has a lot of value. Yeah, yeah, it's an important river. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, lodges, guides, homeboys, everybody's fishing. And we know when you know when the fishery's open, it's every, you know, yeah. everybody's there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you decided to to kind of focus in this temperature research onto this one particular river. Yeah. And it's grown into quite a project. You told me how many, how many grad students and how many well, teams do you have out now? So we, I had, well, I had a crew of eight this past summer, and we've expanded to another river. So, so the original river is the Deshka River, and it's it's a flows into the Susitna River from the from the west, and there's uh, like south of Denali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, yeah, the mouth is you know roughly uh, west of willow and the kind of headwaters are roughly west of Telkeetna. Right. Give you some perspective. Um, it's a south flowing river. And, um, so we've been, we've been recording, we have instrumentation, uh, water temperature, uh, sensors at about 85 different spots on that watershed pairs of them. So we, uh, permanent things you've built out there. Yeah. They're they're not much, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it's just a like little a little sense. weather station or something. You it's a little it's a it's a little you know a little sensor the size of a bottle cap uh, with some cable and a sandbag to weight it in the water and we you know chain it the other end goes up to a tree or a duckbill anchor or something like that you know and yeah um, so we got you know eighty five you know we put them in pairs in case we lose one sure it happens once in a while and they they record in temperature year round every. 15 minutes it's like six million a year six something like that whoa (laughs) so you're collecting a lot of data yeah yeah Yeah. and um summarize what what has been your temp just we'll get into more of what you've been doing but the temperature summary of the last five years is getting warmer well i'm it's not a you know is that a subject it's a tough question to answer it's just it's 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 just not that it's not like this simple. If you it's were to not plot that it, it's not like it's just trending upwards. You know, it, it varies from year to year. And, right. Um, <clears throat> um, twenty nineteen was a record hot year, and you know we captured that. That was pretty neat to see, and we had done some earlier 
work where we were had put a little bit of effort into predicting future water temperatures in some of these streams and in that the, the deshka where I'm, I'm working in it it was sort of in line with what we had had uh had predicted would be happening in the 2060s way ahead of schedule so it's a, a little bit ahead of schedule a little startling maybe yeah 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 it's quite warm um and uh Yeah, and so I, I get you know on the on the on the fish side, you know we're working with we're working with juvenile salmon, Chinook and coho. Yeah, we we touched on this yesterday, which will it, help me navigate through this because your your work is so high above my my uh, understanding level. But you you do a lot of uh, you call them fry, you catch and fry, or like uh, bigger than that. You're, wow, we, I don't, it's not a word I use a lot, but yeah, you, yeah. Why you, don't you like that word? Oh, I I just. I don't know. I just use the word. We just call them juveniles. Um, I'm not. I, I guess. What know, other word did you teach me yesterday? Fry Sir, and fry and par. About a beer. You, I learned another word. Oh, swill beer. Swill beer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna say swill beer from now on, and I'll say juvenile salmon instead of fry. Swill beer as opposed to something with flavor <laughs> or hops. No hops. I tried to make sense of it. I was like, "What? Well, you like?" You swill it back. I yeah, tried to use it exactly. as a verb. And it's you, just, it's like a... You didn't a, have a great answer. It's, like, it's yeah, a, just, just a swill, swill it. You just yeah. swill it on yeah. back. Uh, um, okay. But hey, I, I, I'd, I'd like to talk, I'd, I'd like to just talk for a minute about like this river and why it's so warm. Yes. And I think that it's, 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 it's warmness historically has been part of why it's so productive. Um, um, because you know, fish fish being ectotherms, their metabolism is. Driven. What is an ectotherm? They're 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 not warm blooded. Okay. So their their metabolic rate is is directly proportional to the water temperature. So a little bit of warm water kind of sounds like oh, a good thing. Gives them a little bump. Gets them gets their metabolism going. Gets them feeding. You know, you get a longer growing season. But too much of a good thing might yeah. be detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but you know, the, the, the landscape there is, it's like the stream has everything and, and, and it's a warm one, but it's not, the, the, there's a lot of other warm ones that are a lot like it. So it's not that we're just studying this one river and making some inference about this one. It's a good example of a lot of other things. happening. Yeah. Yeah. It may be, it's maybe a little warmer than the other ones around it, but boy, they're not far behind it. And some mm-hmm. of them are probably just as warm as it. We just don't have data on them, you know? So it's, we're, it's not that we're studying this river. I think, I think of it as being that we're studying this type of river, you know? That makes good sense. Yeah. And it is, if you look at a, a map, the highest, it's funny. It's just like it's you know, there's parts of the watershed where you can look up and you can see Denali. It's just like it's like right there, um, twenty thousand feet yeah, above you. Yeah, but the highest point in this particular watershed, I think it's twelve hundred feet. That's incredible. So you're right at the forefront of the largest vertical gain in almost the world. I mean, I believe bottom to top, Denali is like the fourth largest mountain in the world. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, yesterday we were in a river and you kept saying it was glacial fed. Yep. And this, this river we were canoeing in yesterday was not affected by a lot of the rains we've had this particular summer and it's full of silt and stuff. Um, 
is this river you're studying a, a glacial fed deal or no way more subjected nope. to rainfall yep it is a what we would call a, you know a clear water stream to separate it from no silt yep yep as opposed to a glacial stream which has which which um invariably has a a, a, a high silt load which is that really chalky water you see yep and i asked you yesterday i was like man that's got to be hard for a fish to breathe in and you said they get through it Oh, I mean, you know, there are there, are, there are, uh, the, those glacial mains. Every you know, every for the most part, every big river around here is glacial. Sure, and it's the tributaries that are tend. You know, there's going to be clear water. It's going to be in the tributaries, and so there's the salmon will travel, you know, hundreds of miles in that silty water. But they do seem to like to get out of it. That's what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> so I, I imagine so. If I was, it's like they're choking on a muffler or something. And, like there's. <laughs> There's sediment in the, they, that yeah. has to be hard. They seem to like, you know, taking a even if it's not their the stream that they're heading to when there's some clear water, it seems like they'll peel off there for a little bit and hang out and then, you know, continue on. So you're studying a clear water Yeah and river. I'm, I'm gonna continue to talk about why it's so warm. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, the highest point in the water there's no glacial influence so it's not getting melt water the highest point in the watershed is about 1200 feet mm-hmm. so the snowpack is gone in what may you know there's no persistent snowpack um the water is is the, the watershed is mostly wetland and so it ha- it's flat the mm-hmm. residence time is really high. The water moves very slowly. There's a lot of standing water, ponds. Sounds like a recipe for the water to heat up. Oxbows, lakes, yeah. And the, we call it clear water, but the water's not actually clear. It's very tannic. It's mm-hmm. like the color of like, you know, strong tea almost. So mm-hmm. that absorbs even more radiation. It's dark colored, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's flowing due south. So it's just facing the sun, <laughs> just, the bake, sun. just baking the whole way. Yeah, yeah. As it slowly works, meanders its way along. Um, during the summer here, we have very long days. Mm-hmm. The sun's up, you know, 20 hours a day on the solstice. So the sun's baking it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, it's a perfect recipe for this thing to get if you were real gonna design, warm. If you're going to design a warm stream, like yeah. this, this, this is it. it. And it... it um, Throughout most of its length, the trees, the, the, the trees don't grow all the way to the stream bank. There's sort of a a non-vegetated. I shouldn't say non-vegetated, but there's a non-treed floodplain. Not a lot of shade cover cooling this shade. water down. Yep. Okay. Yep. So there's another another it, variable it to floodplain this thing. Just keep getting Willow and grass, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't get into the trees until you get like up on the hill slope. So there's not a lot of shade either. And when you're out there working on that stream on a hot day, you there's no way to get out of it. Sounds like a mosquito. It can be buggy. Uh, breeding ground. It can be buggy. Yeah. Just buggy yesterday. God, I hate mosquitoes. Um. So it's warm. It's warm water, and and which uh, made it a good candidate for your. Re- for you to dial in on it to research for your research project because yeah. it was the poster child of warm water. Has anybody ever measured the temperature on the dash before you started the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Karina's asking me if if anyone's measured temperature, and and, and we had so with my collaborator Sue at Cooking Lake Keeper, we or she, you know, she, she's the one that did all the 
that initial monitoring. I, 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 I helped with some of the analysis and writing, but um, she had log temperature in the the lower main stem and then a few of the main tributaries, and then and then it was, you know, her her and I they kind of worked together to set up this whole network more intensive network yeah of data collection mm-hmm. and tell me about what you're finding so um <laughs> well let me let me talk about the fish side of it the fish side of it first so we we, we ran the net temperature network for a couple of years and then we started sampling um trying to go as many times as we can swing it so we um anywhere between one and three times a summer we've go back to each of those 85 sites you guys are going and floating this river mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot of float trips yeah sounds like a sweet job yeah yeah um and we trapped whatever juvenile salmon are present at each of these 85 sites multiple times across each summer and so we can sort of relate you know we're 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 we're, we're, we're modeling the occurrence and and hopefully the abundance of juvenile chinook and coho salmon age these sites as a function of temperature so we're you know we're asking what's the thermal the thermal niche right of juvenile salmon that that, that live in this river um and so um based on some preliminary analysis it looks like you know both species in this river are selecting for about 16 degrees celsius don't even ask me what that is in fahrenheit you know my (laughs) truck only tells me the temperature in celsius so i've gotten pretty good at converting um i think 20 is 70 20 celsius is about 70 fahrenheit as i recall so uh that sounds too hot and now that i said that i was an expert on it i can't remember anything um but anyways, so 16 degrees Celsius seems to be the most productive water temperature for these two yeah, species the, of salmon. Our, the capture probability is highest at that temperature. You know, when you count for all the other, it's a, you know, it's a complicated model. It has all kinds of other habitat variables and yep. other stuff folded into it. But yeah. And how has water temperature affected like the growth cycle of juvenile salmon? Um, so yeah, some interesting s- stuff from, so 2019, we had a record hot year and, and um, I want to say the highest temperatures we saw in the Deshka were in the the main stem got up to 25 or 26, and it was there for a uh, few weeks, several weeks in the you know low to mid 20s. Maybe it, this would this would probably make more sense if we you've told me the life cycle of a salmon and quickly when is a when is a salmon egg laid on a bed fertilized when is the salmon born and you're looking at these juvenile salmon in their first year or yeah two? so by yeah 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 so the um so s- summertime is 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 go time for growth they're for, growing for both species yeah these little baby salmon are, are growing up yeah yeah but let's but life cycle wise they you know they're they're they um spawn late summer for chinook fall for coho that eggs in the gravel all winter long wow yeah they hatch during the winter they emerge in the spring no no they don't they don't they don't they don't freeze they there's 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 um they there's upwelling and liquid water moving through the gravel that sort of thing if they were to freeze that would not be uh 
can do like a life. tough, tough yeah. place to stay alive though um yeah. or, to, or to start life <laughs> yeah but you know there's 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 a lot of groundwater that 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 keeps that stream bed liquid and conducive to incubation you know so mm-hmm. yeah um and they emerge in the spring and start feeding on their own and um so and how we're talking about like it's a two inch one inch little fish oh i could tell you in millimeters but uh <laughs> less than an inch uh when they're when they when yeah. they leave the gravel bed yeah when they em- emerge from the you can still see the little yolk sack wow on them you know and it, and and uh but they're starting to feed on their own and at that point they're sort of free living salmon you know less than an inch long and then that first summer is their time to shine and to grow? Yeah. So if 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 you're a Chinook, you'll spend that whole first right. summer growing, and you'll overwinter, and you'll go to sea the following spring. Yeah. There's so many different directions. I want to if take this conversation because if I want to talk about just salmon and how they're aliens from outer space, uh, because a lot of this would make more sense because they're fascinating creatures and and what they do uh but continue with the life cycle if you're a coho you'll spend it's basically the same except they, they tend to spend two year two full years in fresh water so they in go fresh water they go out their second spring to salt water to, to see yeah so so you know there's um they they need to they need to put some body mass on you know they need to live time to bulk up they need to live and the bigger they can they need to live long enough to make it to the ocean and the bigger they are when they head out the, the, the better the, the the better chance the higher that. chance they're going to come back yep yeah very good um and so what is your summary of temperature change relation to changes to these fish's development well a, a lot <laughs> A, 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 a lot of it we're still i mean we we, we just we haven't we ha- i'm just starting to dig into the you analysis should preface everything you say in my opinion <laughs> well it doesn't yeah it, it, at this point it's 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 a lot of it's unfortunately opinion but it, we're, we're really we really haven't dug into the data in a big way yet we've just been so Collecting focused on it. getting the data that um that uh but but we ha- we've seen some things that are that are interesting though you know yeah you like, said uh, you you spoke yesterday about how uh, growth was stunted in a yeah, time like, and maybe they made up for it in a particular time we 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 we've, we've put some effort into looking at data from 2019 because it was so hot and we were seeing such hot water temperature and like a few interesting things have kind of um shown up in the data and ones that that you know during during um, July and August that summer, what, when water temperatures were, you know, exceeded sort of optimal in this river, um, the fish weren't didn't grow much at all during the during the heat of the summer. Is it killing? Is the heat alone killing them at that point? We, you know, our our study isn't really set up to detect that. Okay, we could have lost. We didn't. You know, we weren't seeing dead fish. One thing that we were seeing though is um, um, cases where there were there were um swarms of fish that would be like holding in a little cool upwelling and i i got a video that one of my 
text like this pretty striking. It's just it's just hundreds if not thousands of juvenile salmon just swarmed into this little cool pocket. Where Colder there's, water. Where there's like a little upwelling that was a couple degrees colder coming out of the gravel, you know. So they're hungry for this colder water. Yeah. They definitely didn't like this warm yeah, summer they, water. And they're not hungry for food because, I mean, they were they were untrappable. They, were, they had no interest in, you know, the baited little traps that we use. They wouldn't even go into it. They were just... They were they were they were they were foregoing feeding and growth for survival at this point. You know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. Be like, I'm just trying to stay alive in this hot tub. Yep. I'm not worried about eating right now. Yep. I'm just trying to make it through this hot summer. Yep. But if you look at um if so so we're you know, we're inf- we're inferring and we, we had different ways of measuring growth, but in, in the quick and dirty way that we've analyzed it to this point. We're just looking at changes in size, like size at a, for a given date of the year, right? And so during that record hot year, um, they were they were notably big for their size. Both species were um, in at the end of June before things got hot. Before things got hot, yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of a it was a it, before things got real hot, you know. But it had been. It was a long. It was. It, it had been an early spring and and and, and, and relatively warm up but to this that point. So this historically hot uh, <clears throat> year almost looked like a advantageous thing in the beginning, and then it got real hot, and they yeah they got they, too hot. They, they just quit growing. They just you know they stopped growing for a couple months, and then which is not normal. Or, no, not yeah, no diff- different from the normal trend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're not. Say we're not. We're not tracking. Fatality. It's not our study isn't really set up for that. It's a much more difficult thing to do. Um, and then they they grew very well too after things cooled, cooled off. down. And so by the by the end of the growing season, they were they had attained a pretty good size. Normal size, smaller than normal, bigger than normal. By the end of this whole kind of horrific roller coaster these fish went through with the super hot summer yep at the end of all of it they actually ended up bigger yes yes we don't know if they're what sort of numeric toll it took you know maybe. sure um and 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 in some you one in, in in the way we're inferring there's there's some pitfalls you know and the way we're inferring growth is based on size right so one nose way, to tail um we are measuring yeah but fork length so tip of the nose to the to the pectoral fin nope to the the, the fork of the tail oh the fork not of the, the tip tail. of the tail yep okay um so one one way that you can that you can make a population of fish like that appear to be bigger is to just kill off all the little ones <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying Manip- manipulate your <laughs> sample your samples of data yeah or yeah. or if the environmental conditions were such that so it's hard to say. Yeah, that's hard to say. So yeah, maybe the little guys didn't make the only ones you were measuring were these burlier. So fish. yeah, so we're you know we're doing other things to that that, that are that are that are less. God, I feel like your line of work you'll just always go in circles. <laughs> I, 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 maybe everybody does this in life, but I feel like every time you answer one question, you create three more. Yeah, yeah. Am I wrong? Well. Then, then, then I like ho- to think you're answering. Then hopefully a lot you can answer questions. one or two of those ones too. You know? That's right. Um, so, you know, another thing we've been doing, we had, and, and and I just got actually I just learned a couple of days ago. I got a 
some some money. Uh, I wrote a proposal to to analyze some of this data, and a couple other guys that have been working for me have put a whole lot of effort into, you know, digging out little ear bone odalis from a lot of these fish. Let's talk about that. Yeah, this is really interesting to me. So, and how how detailed this is. Yeah, so we just, you know, to avoid sort of the pitfalls that come along with, you know, inferring growth from size, like the one I just mentioned, um, you know, we've been digging out these little, the old list little ear bones out of all these, a subsample of these juvenile salmon that we're working with, and then you polish them up and through a microscope, and you can image them and see, you know. Growth rings. Growth rings. Which would be similar to, you know, if people had a premolar pulled out of a bear they've killed or something but it sounds like it's even more detailed than that so yeah you can what what are the the the, the circadian r- rhythm of the fish lays down daily growth increments and then the and and then uh and then there are also uh, patterns of annual growth as well are there other fish or mammals that lay down that detailed of a a timeline in an ear bone or in a tooth or whatever yeah because well, you think about sheep, you get a, a ring every winter. You think about a bear, they get a ring every year in that premolar. And they can count years. But what you're talking about is these ear bones and salmon that tell you a day-to-day story. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I don't, uh, mammals don't... I've never I heard of know, anything yeah. as detailed as what you are looking at. Yeah, it seems to be a fish thing. I, I, I have never, I, I'm not aware of that sort of like temporal resolution coming from like a bare tooth or something like right. that. That's a, good, that's a good question. I'm not sure. But you can literally look at a day-by-day growth cycle out of the sear bone. Yeah, and the, so what they're what the guys the guys that are, that are working for me they're 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 measuring um, they're measuring the most recent thirty. Thirty days. Yep, yep. And Which so, is and so hot, we can hot ask, water time. Yeah, so we can ask. Okay, what growth look like? And and, and, and you can't. Um, it's 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 best to average some of. You, you don't want to work on like, oh, how how much did they grow yesterday versus the day before? You know what I'm saying? You don't look too close. Yeah, yeah. yeah but when you're averaging over some number of days, then it you can sort of approximate how fast. Any given fish was actually, you know, this fish was actually growing this fast, and you know, recently. So that's, so we're really put a whole lot of effort into nailing that down, and then and then we'll relate that back to water temperature and other conditions. Just building a more complex picture of what you're looking into. It's just more well, ho- more detail. Yeah, or hopefully it's more better capturing reality. You know, or maybe we'll learn that size is a great proxy for growth and that we you know yeah have a great big data set to work with so. and yeah you don't know until you know mm-hmm. well i think it's fascinating um you started this project in 2017 it sounds like it's full steam ahead right now how long will this, this last well um you know we had two sort of paired back 2020 and 2021 were sort of paired back due to covid we had a smaller crew than we were hoping for so. fish got sick <laughs> so uh the everything got sick they had like tigers and zoos getting covid it wouldn't surprise me if like any of the cohos really took that covid hard <laughs> the covid coho was a nightmare really hit our numbers well it really hit our field season that's for sure uh so we had a, we had a couple scaled back ones and this year was a big field season for that's us. what it sounded like you had 
a lot of people in the field and a lot of trips. And, and I, th- I think we're kind of good. I think we're I think we're we're we're, we're kind of going to scale back next couple years and i'm going to shift more into analysis and writing mode here and um try to make sense out of these millions of data points i was going to say are you overwhelmed with the amount of data you need to digest um it's a bit overwhelming but honestly it's my um you know i got into this sort of stuff because i liked being outside and being in the field and 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 uh messing around with fish and messing around with bugs and that's what you don't thing. get but to do that when you're crunching numbers i know but I, it's it's to me it's actually more rewarding like it's it's how i it's the it's the end it's like the the pot of gold oh, at the end of the rainbow it's yeah. like the answer all this money all these for. hours this is where the rubber meets the road cool you know? and i'm very excited to dig into the data like and what's your hope i don't hope anything what's your i, I, I hope I, okay. I hope we learn something useful yep what uh let me rephrase the question. What would be a good, productive, healthy earth finding? And what would be a scary, uh, apocalyptic finding? Oh, yeah, I could, I could, you know, uh, um, yes. Uh, if everything was right in the world, and it was like, man, the world's getting warmer, the water's getting warmer, but these fish are doing great. Yeah, that's part of it. And part of what we're, part of what we're doing is, tr- and this, we kind of we kind of pushed past this early on. Uh, but the the initial objective of this of this work was to to at the watershed scale map future water temperature. You project, yeah. Be like, we can, we know this information, therefore we can. So we, we got predict, it. yep, accurately this future. So we occurrence. we we understand how at the watershed scale we understand how temperature, at a very fine scale now, responds to temperature and precipitation, air temperature and rainfall, basically, right? Yeah, we know. We know so if we have those two inputs, we can calculate water temperature we can we can reconstruct past water temperature conditions across the whole watershed and we can predict future water temperature conditions across the whole watershed and so that's one big thing that we're saying well how is it going to change you know like is the amount of thermally suitable habitat is it shrinking is it being isolated just the headwaters are we we losing it right thermally suitable habitat what do you mean by that what does that mean water that's cool enough to to support to function fish. as a salmon stream right like okay. to, to to allow these fish to grow right so you know we, we it looks like they 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 want to be in 16 degree water um there's a certain temperature where they don't seem to grow anymore right so um you know there's a couple benchmarks there that we can sort of project into the future and look at um that's the type of stuff we're going to be working on in our analysis and um so yeah, the doomsday scenario is the in you know forty years that whole they're gone. Well, the whole you know in in in, in on the in the average summer, most of that watershed is unusable to salmon. You know that would be like the doomsday. That's scenario. not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, but there's well, a, you know there's there's a flip side too, and that's that you know this is a really warm stream, and it's it's. It, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's not anomalously warm, but it's on the warm end of the spectrum. And we have a whole lot of real cold streams too. And we've seen a pattern and we, 
we uh, kind of pulled this relationship out in an analysis we did for a, a different paper a couple of years ago where locally the coldest salmon streams seem to be more m- most productive during a hot year. Interesting. Where cuz because they're 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 spending their some you know their average summer is sort of below the thermal optimum mm-hmm. growth to put it in a real simple sense. And then they get a hot a hot summer and it pushes like, them man, up. They're like, man, it's pretty to nice. the zone. Yeah, yeah. The short term looks really good. Yeah. And so, and then, the, you know, rivers like the Deshka that are that are sort of the average Always summers. warm. The average summers like probably, you know, right at maybe at the optimum or maybe even slightly above it for part of the summer, you know. Right. They get a real hot summer and they just spend a good, a good chunk of it that's, 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 that's too warm, you know, or... Um, and then another thing we'll be able to look at is like, what's the duration of that? You know, so in 2019, we saw that there was a couple of months where they didn't grow well, but maybe, you know, maybe in the future it's four months they don't grow well or hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. So those are the types of questions that we're going to dig into now. God, that's complicated. <laughs> it just, it like, I, I praise you for the work that you do, but it, it does seem like an, like an a unanswerable question. Like wow. it, it just keeps. And I guess your role is just to to paint the truth and provide the best data you can and help us predict, try to predict the future and see. Yeah, and hopefully some, you know, hopefully some some worthwhile conservation comes out of it, you know, like. And what would that look like? That's a great question, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. Do we do we do we try to get trees to grow? Yeah, where they're where they're not ripe, uh, re replant a riparian area to where the shade alone can cool water down. Yeah, I don't. That's know. That's what you're saying. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. I, I you know I don't know what you know sort of, but but at least like we're you know I guess I I guess, I guess my hope is that we, we we understand what's coming and 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 we can start to put some thought into what if anything we can do about it and um <laughs> it's like. You're just in search of the truth. At, at, some, at some point, you know, it's like, oh, chuck some smallmouth in there. I'm, 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 <laughs> oh, you don't mean that. No, I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that at all. That would be, uh, that, uh, I, would, I would never advocate for that. Uh, but, um, um, you know, it's, it's when you have, it's, it's, you have a big basin, right? This, to sit in a basin or any of these basins and, and within that basin, there's, there's, there, there's, there's, there's streams that are, um, you know, much colder and will, and 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 we'll support salmon for you know probably for, hopefully for this foreseeable future and there are others that are real warm and and um you know may not be good salmon habitat every year you know so it's not like you, you can't you can't do anything rash right? right like it's still a salmon based ecosystem and you got to keep that in mind so it, that limits your options right like, right um um but you know we're talking you know working working with with my cl- one of my collaborators has been doing um, some sort of brainstorming sessions with land managers and um, with state and the borough and things like that and talking about how can we, cons- you know, groundwater flow is really important and talking about how, what you know, what steps can we take sort of like maybe regula- on the regulatory side to protect groundwater flow paths and maybe there be like lack of development of the area yeah or like or 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 identifying key Mm. groundwater inputs like this is an important spot yeah cold water's coming up here yeah this is an important zone at a bare minimum making people aware of it sure right um you know maybe giving that 
some sort of protection like you would give a drinking water well or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, so, I mean, we're, we're kind of looking at that type of stuff right now. Yes. It's so multifaceted. My brain is not complex enough. I can't, I, I would not do well in your line of work. I'm too, I'm too simple. Oh, it, it, uh, no, I, man, I, sometimes I wake up at night and have this feeling that, um, that it's, 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 that, that the system is just too complicated and that we can't, that we're trying to capture a reality that's so complicated that we're not really capturing it. And like we got some good data, but there's a whole <laughs> lot of other shit going on. And no, I, yeah, I, I, it's I, a big picture. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Oh, beaver, otter, muskrat. Oh, if I, data, other data points. If I had a magic wand, I would count and measure every single salmon coming and going out of that. Coming in easy. The state does that. I would count and measure every single salmon going out of that river every year. Recruitment. Yeah, like, yeah. recruitment to the ocean in this recruitment case. Recruitment to yeah, the survival, ocean. Survival to smolting would be. The year-to-year... How many of these little bastards are surviving this freshwater hot tub and getting out to the ocean? And really tie that back to, you know, environmental conditions, right? Yeah. But that's a, um, that's a, that's that's an expensive and time-consuming endeavor. I mean, like we're, you know, we're 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 spending a lot of time and effort just trying to understand, you know, sort of local abundance and a little bit about growth and performance and stuff, but to look at the whole run in a sort of big river system like that is, you know, just running the kind of small trapping effort that would be required was just a little bit beyond our means. Well, that's a great uh, insight into your current work and project and um, about as much of that as I could possibly understand. <laughs> Hopefully I understand a lot more of it in a couple of years. But what I, I'd like to talk about now is just uh, salmon in in a bigger picture and the anomaly that that fish is i think i think salmon are as fascinating as honeybees <laughs> and honeybees are from outer space oh yeah oh my if my brother and his wife started beehives the social structure of a beehive and the things that bees do are on the same level to me as what salmon do which are like no one could have ever dreamed this up so it's a fish born in fresh water mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in its early life leaves fresh water goes to the ocean and at some point usually year four come i'm just gonna boil it i'm highly, just gonna highly dependent i'm just gonna boil it down into a very coho spend most of their life in fresh water Okay, so let me just just <laughs> you could say late in life they go to the ocean. Okay, <laughs> the point is your average salmon is born in freshwater, goes to saltwater, comes oh, back bag. to freshwater, yeah, uh, reproduces and dies. Yes, just the fact that this fish is going from freshwater to saltwater is wildly unique. Like not a lot of fish do that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're they're certainly not the only one. Yeah, but 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 it's it's relatively rare in, um, among all the fish. Yeah, what is most impressive to me, just from the outside looking in, is the fact that these fish are able to relocate the exact stream they were born in. They go out 
hundreds, if not thousands of miles into the open ocean, Mm -hmm. spend perhaps years, Mm -hmm. and then return to the exact drainage they were born in. You're shaking your head like, well, Well, I thought you were going to say the exact spot, but that's a little maybe overly romanticized. But no, they come close. Yeah, 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 yeah. How in the world? We don't have an answer to that, do we? Well, I, it's, it's. I think there's a fair bit known about it, and I don't, and I'm not super up on that body of literature, you know. But like, yeah, the broad scale, there's a, there's, there's some certain navigation that's happening with, you know, polarized light and biological mag uh, compasses and that sort of thing, you know. And then at the fine scale in the river, it's largely based on like smell, right? It's like this. Um, um, they're you know when they're when they're when they're juveniles living in that river they're in, they're imprinting like a like a like the sort of chemical signature of that stream. Um, all the you're telling th- me this like it's common knowledge, but I do not know this. So you, you, there's a they're imprinted as a child, and this is our stream. This is what it smells like. Yeah, there's a there's, like. there's a there's a there's a window in that young salmon's life where it where it's undergoing this like physiological process of imprinting to that stream and they're basically just you know i you can think of it as memorizing the smell of that stream and that's that's what that that's what they're going to home to you know and so it's their it, it, as they're heading up that stream network they're every time it branches right they're 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 going to smell a side and they're going to smell the other side and they're going to make a decision at every confluence as to which one smells like home <laughs> it, that's that's crazy to me i mean the, the life cycle of a salmon doing all of this and returning to even remotely close to the same spot is just really astounding. It's like migrating birds. Yeah. Like, well, if you think about it, I mean, it's some, there's something to be gained by that type of fidelity, right? Like, it it, it, it it worked for them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they they were able to... It's, 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 it's fitness is sort of self-evident, right? Because they came from that spot. Their their parents laid that egg there, and they hatched and they survived. So hey, why not why not go back there, right? Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> this worked for mom and pa. Yeah, let's go back to the same spot. Uh, and am I correct in saying that? Is it four years usually? A four year old fish comes back, or is that is that subjective? Oh, it totally depends on it. Does the spe- species and to some extent the population? Yeah. I shouldn't say it. It, it. Some are more complicated than others. Cohort, well, there's five species here, right? Let's go over that. There's five species, and they each have two names. Yeah. Which, if you, this is very common knowledge have, to anybody in Alaska. Least, at least two names. Two, uh, they have two names that are in common usage here. Yeah. And All there's right. there's other names for them in other places, and it, you know, yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm gonna. I'm going to try to get these five right. A king salmon is a coho. No, a king salmon is a chinook. Yep. A silver is a coho. Mm-hmm. A pink is a humpy. Mm-hmm. A red is a sockeye. And a chum is a dog. Mm-hmm. Yep. So five species of salmon with at least two names apiece. <laughs> yeah. Why? I mean, is it a, a, na- a First Nations name and a a secondary name that came in later what why did that happen yeah you know i that's a great that's a good question i, th- I think some of them do have some of those names do have some, some native origins to them and i think some of them were names that came up from some of those names came up from lower 48 and some were more local names and 
just nicknames adopted along the way, kind of. Yeah. I asked you yesterday what your favorite salmon to eat was. And you, like a proper Alaskan, said (laughs) king. Yeah. Why is king the best? Because big and fatty. Is that it? Is it a fat content, like yeah. a meat to fat ratio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. If you're gonna, yeah, if if you're gonna have a, uh, if you're gonna slap a piece of salmon down on your grill, yeah, and it's gonna cause your grill to flare up like a f- fatty burger. Doing something right. It's gonna be a. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. They just got a, they just got a nice, yeah, yeah. They got a lot of fat in them. They're just delicious. Yeah, and it's funny. People have different preferences I, I know quite a few alaskans that say reds are uh, yeah favorite. yeah i would yeah yeah is that a fat content thing too mostly or is it a flavor yeah and they have a they're, they're a diff, they're different yeah yeah they're, i don't think of them as being real fatty i, I don't know um how they uh, how they compare to, i know they're low they have a, on an average lower fat content than king but i don't know how how, how much lower but they're they're kind of a firm they're, they're the colors you know real red and vibrant and pretty they hold up real well in the freezer you know they have a lot of things going for them i have heard that that they they last well they freeze yeah better than some other yeah like, the fish oh like pinks are terrible and just gone you try to freeze that thing and they it's freezer burn real quick and they get mushy and <laughs> yeah I, I, something better about eat that it. thing right away yeah yeah oh they don't even we don't even put them in the freezer they, they're great you know if you catch them uh, out in the ocean and they're bright man cook them up that day and they're awesome but and i'm not saying it's right or wrong but i would say there's definitely a real alaskan stigma or uh urban legend that king king's the, i feel like if uh like a proper alaskan's proud to be like i only eat king and you have to be familiar with this to some degree where people are like <laughs> some of those folks might not pure, be eating anything these days but it's yeah. purist kind of approach to it where people are like king's the best i only eat king it's like well if only i was so lucky to pick between the five uh you think king runs are down though across oh definitely yeah yeah king's a little hard to come by these days yeah yeah i mean yeah you guys done a blind taste test with salmon so yeah down at down at our uh, our place in southeast uh we you know both my brothers were there and a, just a gang of people that we always fish with, right? And we got this guy, Pooter, that runs the kitchen down there. And he did up – well, I think we had, we had at least – we had – Yeah, it was just – it was just – yeah, yeah. It was Coho and – Coho and Humpy. Yeah, Silvers and Pinks. Silvers and Pinks. Um, he did them up the same. We, used to, we did a blind taste. But, the, but the, you know, these are ocean bright, caught that day. You know, and why is the salmon better out of the ocean? I know it's chromed out; it looks better, but why? Let's come back to that. Okay, go ahead. Ocean bright, same day. You cooked them the same blind taste test, and I think it was unanimous. People like the tell. humpy. No, oh, no, they like the oh, humpy. I said I picked the humpy. Um, and which I, on average is a smaller salmon, the the smallest and most abundant salmon, low. When I think there. about a, a humpier pink fillet, it's a uh, a lot of folds of meat. Where if I think about a king, it's giant slabs of meat in between fat. Yeah, humpy's like a lot, a lot more layers of meat. It's just shrunk down. Yeah, just a shrunk down fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not as, um, yeah, they have a pink color to them. They're not as brightly colored as most of the others. You know. 
but they're not popularly accepted as a, tr- a trophy culinary prize, right? Yeah. I'm speaking generally. They don't freeze well. By the time they get in fresh water, they're, you know. But the chromed a, a out. Lot of them are, a lot of them are that. coastal spawners. So by the time they make it to the river, they're already turning. And, you know, the turning color. Yeah. And so, you know, you so you had asked why ocean bright fish are better eaten. So um, when those fish are approaching their spawning stream or in a, in their spawning stream they for one they, they, they're, they're, their whole feeding metabolism shuts down their gut atrophies they just they stop feeding they're unable to i mean they'll yeah they'll they'll grab a fly or they'll grab your eggs grab your eggs under the bobber you know or whatever but um that's not a feeding thing you know it's like uh impulsive or defensive or like they're the they're not hungry. They're not hungry, and they're not using that in any. They've switched life goals from exactly. being athletic and healthy and well-fed to yeah I reproducing. Mean, yes, that's why they're returning to this freshwater yep. stream that they were born in. Yep, yep. And so it's quite a commitment. It is a commitment. It is a commitment. It's a big decision. It's a it's a one way <laughs> trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a one way trip. So. They're burning their own muscle, right, for to fuel that journey at this point because they're not feeding anymore. So they're take they're 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 they're, they're taking protein from their muscle, metabolizing that, and replacing it with water to maintain their size and shape, right? So the meat the meat is becoming less nutritionally less, dense, less more dense, yeah. water, more m- mushy. Yep. Um, and the color in the, of the meat fades. And I think a lot of the, the appeal is the color. It's impossible to separate the color of that meat from the taste of that meat. Hmm. And when it's getting kind of pale and pasty colored, because um, that you know that pigment's, pigment's getting mobilized and moved to the skin to 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 to, to make that bright red color you see on a lot of these what, what's the anatomical benefit of them changing colors like that, or is it just a result of That's what's for like happening? all sexual display on the spawning oh because they're getting right? so, that's the rut they're getting yeah, on that's their antlers these, yeah that's, that's their, their big they're like i'm coming in flex i'll change crazy colors get all bright red and i'm, and gonna, I'm gonna, gonna a big hook jaw and i'm gonna my teeth sperm are gonna all over the <laughs> gravel bar <laughs> yes it's like a bull elk they're like i'm not gonna eat yeah exactly I'm just gonna breed as much as i can they just take it to the next level it's be like a bull elk that's that, that's willing to die that's gonna die yeah every can you yeah. imagine he's gonna, breed, he's gonna breed once yeah and die Every five-year-old elk was like, "This is it, man. I'm all in. <laughs> Ride or die. I'm I'm breeding cows, and I'm gonna die by Thanksgiving." But then there's also yeah, the elk whole... management would be a little bit different if that was the case. God. It? <laughs> um, but then there's the whole element of the rivers are riddled with dead fish, mm-hmm. and that in turn fertilizes the river. And is that correct? Yeah, to some, ex- to some, some extent. extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... Um, ashes to ashes. Yeah, I think it gets overly romanticized. Okay. Bit, you know, and, I, and I've done some work kind of along these lines, too. Um, but, you know, where where it um, where it seems to make a difference is in, in, you know, like when you have 
um, you know, be it juvenile salmon or Dolly Varden or rainbow trout or whatever, when you have some sort of stream dwelling consumer that's, you know, directly eating salmon eggs and bits of decaying salmon flesh and fly larvae that have colonized salmon carcasses, that sort of thing. When you have like this direct sort of food subsidy, like it's pretty easy to measure an effect of that. Um, but the, like the, the fertilizer question becomes a little bit more nebulous, a little bit harder to track down, you know? Probably not as important as I'm trying to paint it. Well, it's, I'm not going to say it's not important. It's just a... It's a this is it's a problem a, working for the feds. You it, can't say tougher, anything <laughs> definitively. <laughs> well, it's, just, it's a tougher question. A tougher I understand. Question. Yeah. I understand. Um, well, they're fascinating animals. You call them an animal? Can you call a fish an animal? Yeah. I call a fish an animal. Yeah. Fascinating animals. Yeah. I, I, I'm... Every time I learn more about salmon, I'm more impressed by them. And I think it's so cool that you've made a your career of of working with these uh, ecosystems and these creatures. Uh, what's the future look like for your project and for salmon on a global scale? Hard to say. Yeah, hard to say. It's gonna. Well, does salmon exist the world over? I know they're in Russia, and I know they're in Lake Michigan, all <laughs> over Alaska. Well, they exist in a lot of places where they didn't used to. That's for sure. Introduced, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're introduced to um, southern hemisphere in places. There's like naturalized runs right in New Zealand now, and they've been in that. We brought them the there. The king salmon runs in New Zealand and. Um, Potentially elsewhere in the Southern Hemisphere. I can't remember, but they were introduced there, what, maybe in the 50s, 60s? That surprises me that that's something we can manipulate. It seems like one of those things like that as much as we might try, like we could never manipulate a salmon run or, or produce a superficial salmon run. Like you can't keep some animal. Oh, never keep you know, great white it's interesting, man. Great white like, in captivity. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it you never know when they're going to take or not you know like you know in the great lakes um um yes yeah, so i so you know there have been attempts to introduce sockeye salmon to the great lakes they have not took for whatever reason there's been but the kings did there's been efforts to introduce an ongoing effort to introduce atlantic salmon to the upper great lakes they've just they won't take for whatever reason but um you know one accidental um, introduction of pink salmon in the Great Lakes, and they instantly took. You know, like, <laughs> so no one was planning on that one. No, huh? no, no. So you just know, you kind of never know. Um, but yeah, so you know, the Great Lakes now have king king salmon naturalized, co salmon naturalized, pink salmon naturalized, steelhead naturalized. Tell me the difference between a steelhead and a salmon. <sighs> Not uh, the same genus. It's very closely related, uh, but steelhead uh, lifts spawn more than once. It's kind of you know life history sense is a the fundamental difference. It's not not that they always do, but they have the ability to. They're they're not programmed to die. In layman's terms, a steelhead is a tr freshwater trout that went to the ocean and came yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, and then you know and so I you know mentioned Great Lake steelhead and they use that you know thing. More technically, you'd call it like an adfluvial rainbow trout because they're not actually going to sea anymore. Right. You know, I think that was they were they have a steelhead-like life history, and I think they they were originally maybe steelhead stock that they introduced there, and the name just stuck. You know, so is it rainbow trout? 
Yeah, they're yeah they're yeah yeah steelhead steelhead's a, a, an anadromous rainbow trout. Yeah, and you're saying that fish can come and go from its birth stream. That seems like the most impressive salmon. <laughs> is there a stick? Yeah. Is there a stick? Is, do salmon got? Do you do you not like steelhead? Or do you? Or oh no! I, no, I, I, they're fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I, it's 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 yeah, it's neat how they just have that that twist in life history where they can actually come back. Oh yeah, <laughs> prove it. I'd like to see it. Jeremy has a tattoo of a muskie. Or no, that wasn't it. It was Matt. This guy at the guide shack yesterday walked out with his shirt off and had a big muskie on his Oh, is he, is he a Wisconsin guy? New York. Oh, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, there's muskies in New York, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Oh, Finger Lakes, right? I don't know. All I know about the Finger Lakes is it was mentioned in the, an Office episode. And Tom Hanks, or is it Tom Hanks? Whatever. Anyways, Finger Lakes. People go missing in the Finger Lakes. Well, we, uh, those those. Great Lakes steelhead, call them what you want, boy. When we let me see your tattoo. We were. It's your only. I don't have any. Oh, it looks like you did it in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Did a VCR motor for that? (laughs) I'm just kidding. That is a nice tattoo. Uh, Oh, I've had it since college, man. I've had it most of my life, you know. What else you got going on since college? (laughs) That's uh, (laughs) the. I never got a tattoo. Yeah, it's 30 years old, man. If I feel like I'm one of those people that uh, if I got one, I'd get 100. Yeah. And I just never. I got one. I forget it's there, man. It's like the one thing I'm holding on to. with <laughs> The only thread of purity I have left. I'm like, ah, but I don't have any tattoos. But we, uh, we spent a lot of time and effort chasing those things when, you know, Growing up in Michigan, in Michigan, kind of a big deal for us, yeah. Steelhead, yeah. We spent a lot of time, a lot of time on it. And where were they coming from? Out of the Great Lakes, yeah. You know, yeah. How I mean, far we away? Up, we grew up along Lake Michigan, and we fished a lot of streams along Lake Michigan, and then, um, you know, spent years in college up in the Upper Peninsula. So we fished some of the Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, you know, very northern tributaries, and some of the Lake superior tributaries on the michigan side and the canada side too and um, we traveled around quite a bit for a lot of a lot of driving around and fishing different places and chasing steelhead steelhead yeah yeah fly fishing yeah yeah of various sorts they call it the uh the fish of a thousand casts oh that's musky isn't it i don't know i thought it was steelhead well that that's it's about every fish species for me (laughs) except for yesterday you put me on them uh them silvers or coho as we might call them part of me felt bad catching those fish i felt like it was i force fed them oh hey <laughs> that's not force feeding I, yeah we, we were, weren't uh, we weren't snagging them the fish we took home yesterday ate oh yeah ate our bait yeah yeah and wants to meet it up they they, they I, I felt bad. kind of like what i told you how it was gonna unfold i said we're gonna get a little flurry of action right away that's how it is, and then it's just gonna die, and we're gonna move on. And that's, <laughs> I think we that's exactly how it worked. You lost a fish or two? No, I didn't lose. A okay, fish I lost two. at least one, maybe two. You definitely uh, were hooked up with one. Or you, I think you had a, a bite, and you vocalized yeah. it. You were like, "I just, I just had an eat." Like 
Yeah. Something definitely just. But the water's clear enough. You you know, you're, we were watching like three feet of water. Yeah. 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 Um, that's crazy. I didn't know you, you chased steelhead in a previous life. Yeah. I spent a lot of time. A lot of steelhead in Southeast Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're interesting down there. It's, it's, um, um, a lot, you know, so there's, it seems, it seems like most streams in Southeast Alaska, even some pretty small ones have a steelhead run. There's just a lot of very small steelhead runs down there. Yeah. It's just like, I think salmon are complicated and aliens and then steelhead like take it to a little bit of an, another level, but maybe I'm romanticizing <laughs> steelhead. I never caught one. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a prized thing. Huh. And the only king I ever caught was in Lake Michigan. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, we'd go, my family didn't hunt or fish, but every summer out of Leland, my dad would oh, yeah. take us out on a fishing charter. That was like. He would splurge and take us out on a, a morning fishing charter out of Leland and uh, a lot of lake trout. Yep. And then if you were lucky, you'd nail, you know, if you were late in the summer into August, you'd nail a king or two. Yeah. And that was a big deal. And yeah. I hear the I hear the the king fishing in Lake Michigan on the east side, Leland into Sutton's Bay and all that stuff is getting better and better. Huh. Yeah, I haven't really kept up with it. Yeah. I haven't either. I'm yeah. just going we, off my dad's secondhand intel. We did a lot of that Great Lakes trolling growing up too for, you know, salmon, steelhead lakes, trout, all that stuff. And that shit changed my life. I I had did not grow up in a family of hunters or fishermen. But the, somehow this once-a-day summer activity going out on this fishing, fishing charter was the biggest day of the year for me, and I loved it. I remember, I think in third grade, I wrote, uh, when, I, when I grow up, I want to be a fishing charter captain in Leland, Michigan. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, a, that's, that's in great. writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, special place. Um. Yeah, I, you know, I have had occasion to go back and fish king salmon in the Great Lakes since living in Alaska. And it doesn't was, have the same. It was a real eye-opener, man. Like, <laughs> like uh, it, it almost, it, like, did it feel fake? Especially once I cut one open. Like, And it, why is that? It looks, you know, you're, it's, I'm not crazy about downrigger trolling. You know, I did a lot of it growing up and. I do some here, and it, it 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 it's fun and it's productive, but it's it's not really all that hands on, you know. So it's yeah, it's pretty mind. You're pretty uninvolved in that. And yeah, you're reeling it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the, I mean, there's an art to it, and 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 um, so, you know, some some guys are real good at it, you know. But so it and I've done some down a fair bit of downrigger trolling here, and it was that part of it felt pretty similar. Um. And you hook a fish, and it's fighting, and it's big, and it's beautiful, and and it's. Um, but then you cut it open. Yeah. And what what's up? It's like it. There's no color to it, the meat, you know. Really. Because all that you know, a lot of pigments dietary, right? And so, in the ocean, you know, they're eating, they're getting all these carotenoids from all the. Uh, plankton and microcrustaceans or crustaceans and stuff that they're eating. So they're and in the Great Lake, like, it's all like this. Just like this is, it's all like this um, fish-based diet, you know. And so, you're saying the kings 
in the Pacific Ocean are eating little microscopic crabs, and well, the, the ones in the Lake Michigan are eating little the microscopic diet, fish. The, the diet's completely different. Yeah, the they, don't, they don't get like the, the carotenoids in their diet in the Great Lakes. What is a carotenoid? It's a a, a pigment, like a you know, it's what makes it's a it's a the the red pigment that. I, I thought a carotenoid might be like a crab a crab or something. You're oh 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 yeah yeah to. yeah. Sorry sorry. Uh, so. They don't um, get the color but in they their don't, diet. They're not. They don't synthesize that pigment themselves, mm. right? The meat, the the color you see when you cut open a salmon, the color that colors that meat is not. Those compounds are not made by that fish. It's it's from their diet, right? So, in the Great Lakes, you cut open this chunky king salmon and expect it to look like a salmon on the inside kind of dull white you know like, what it's hell? white and mushy and doesn't well, have any correct like, me if i'm wrong flavor. but there there's some uh very coveted thing called a white king what is that well that's a yeah that's that's a that is a natural phenomenon in a like lake know, michigan in, <laughs> wow <laughs> no it's very different well, but explain to me what, what is a white king so a white a white king is a is a king salmon that has a g- genetic mutation. And my understanding that it is that it rather than storing pigments in its flesh, it metabolizes them. Okay. So, yeah, when you it, it, this would be like an ocean, a Pacific Ocean king salmon that you cut open and it's it's white. And it's supposed to be like the ivory. Well, that's salmon. a that's that... a marketing thing. Okay, you know, like um, back in the day, they weren't even sellable, right? Until they branded them as the Ivory King, and now there's like a market for them. Kind of God, itchy, isn't that funny you know? how that works? But back in the day, the fishermen just kept brought them home because they couldn't even sell them. You know, that's just They're like that's not salmon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they've kind of carved out a little niche market for mm-hmm. it, and they're 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 worth as much or more than a normal king. And it's neat to catch one, you know. Um, you seen, I want to say you about, seen this before? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to say it's it's they're not all that uncommon. Really? Maybe like 10%. And you can you can pull the gill plate back, and there's a little part inside there where you can actually see the color of the, of the meat. If you know what to look for, you can you can. I, I feel like I know what you're talking about on the front side of the collar. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's like a little window. Yes. A little window into the fillet. Peek in there. A little uh, trick. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't. If you, if you fed me white king and normal king blindfolded, I don't think I could tell you the difference. It just looks. They just look different, you know. So you're telling me if I don't, if I bleed my kings real good, they won't be white kings. <laughs> bleed them all you want. They ain't gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna bleed them that good. All right, Dan. Thank you so much for talking about salmon with me. You're an impressive man and a good friend. Oh yeah, man. And I look forward to uh, our next day of scouting ducks together. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll do it again, man. Yeah, thanks for bringing the bottle, Pete. That was good. That was good seeing Enjoy you. Enjoy the rest of your fall, man.